Modern smartphones are sleek and thin, but they're also fragile and expensive. If you're really careful, you may use it until you're ready to upgrade without shattering the glass. But if you look around, you'll see most phones wrapped in a case for protection. Our personal data is even more valuable than the device it's stored on, and it deserves just as much protection. The work that I do requires me to travel a lot, which means I'm frequently to connect, connected to unfamiliar networks. Nefarious hackers can make up to $1,000 selling the data of each of their victims on the dark web, and there are cheap hardware and software tools readily available that let even a smart middle schooler snatch your data without you even noticing. A virtual private network, or VPN, like ExpressVPN, creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your devices and the servers that you're transmitting data to and from. When you're, when you're sitting at the airport gate area, or airline lounge, or even your hotel room, those Wi-Fi networks aren't secure. Your bits are flying through the air, and whether you're checking your bank account balance, sending data to a client, or just checking your email, bad actors can snatch up your usernames, passwords, and everything else you send and receive if it's not encrypted. The layers of security used by ExpressVPN would take over a billion years to expose by bad guys with some of the most powerful supercomputers. ExpressVPN trusted server technology also runs each session in memory in a unique virtual space that is wiped clean as you end your session with none of your data ever written to a hard drive, so there's no residue for anyone to recover about what you were doing after the fact. ExpressVPN runs on almost all devices, including Windows, Mac, iOS, Linux, Android, streaming devices like Chromecast, Roku, Fire Stick, and Apple TV, and there's also a Chrome browser extension. It's super simple to use. Once you install ExpressVPN, it's one click to establish a secure encrypted tunnel with servers in 105 countries around the world. I've personally been paying for and using ExpressVPN for years on all of my personal devices. When I, started, when I first started using VPNs for work more than 20 years ago, they were often slow and unstable and had to be restarted frequently. But with ExpressVPN, data speeds are virtually unchanged from running fully exposed, so you can just turn the VPN on and leave it on. I often get materials from clients and companies that are, that are under embargo or NDA, and if it leaks out, I can get into some trouble. But even if I just wanted to reach back to my personal server to grab some files, check my email, or watch something that's only available on one of my streaming services at home while I'm out of the country, ExpressVPN lets me do it all securely. Your data is valuable. Don't let bad actors steal it and potentially misuse it. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash wheelbearings. And you can get an extra three months free when you sign up. Expressvpn.com slash wheelbearings. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting wheelbearings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Coming up on episode 303 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Dodge Charger Swinger, the Genesis G80 Electrified, the Ford Maverick Tremor, Neo gives up on free battery swapping, Mercedes-Benz shows off the Vision 111 concept and starts testing chat GPT for voice activation in the car, Nitza's not doing necessarily the right things, Ford's taking the Ranger to Dakar, and we, Nicole and I drive the Ford Super Duty. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 303 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Boyle Salmon from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakeland from the Road Reflective Podcast. And uh, Robbie, uh, just before we recorded, sent me a note saying, Oh, hi, I'm running out the door to Korea today. So. <laughs> You know, those are the kind of things that slip your mind. Oops, yeah, going to I know. Korea. <laughs> I, mean, just, I forget about those sorts of trips all the time. Oopsie yeah. daisy. <laughs> oh, damn, I forgot to put it on my calendar. Ah, oh, shoot. I guess I'm going out of the country. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so it's just the two of us today, but we got lots to talk about. Yes, it's the Nicole uh, and Sam show today. Yeah. So let's start with what you've been driving. We had two cars that couldn't be, and as I look at them sitting on this list in front of me, could we get two more opposite vehicles for me to have in the same show? I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, they both have four doors. <laughs> mm-hmm. They both have four wheels, a steering mm-hmm. wheel. They mm-hmm. have seating for about five people. Yeah. They're they're actually not that far apart in size. Uh, you, I they're guess. Si- they're both sedans. They both have a trunk <laughs> and, you know, and a, and a relatively long hood. Only one is a muscle car and one is an EV, but otherwise totes the same. <laughs> well, th- I mean, does muscle car and EV, are those mutually exclusive? I don't think so. I, I mean, don't you know. Are they? That's, that's a the Model S Plaid. I mean, a I Model know, S Plaid I, is basically a muscle car. But I feel like to be a muscle car, you have to be, I feel like it has to be loud and just the tiniest bit obnoxious, which so, an EV isn't. So you're saying that if if the the EV that you had, if that had something like, say, Dodge's Fratsonic exhaust system, it would that count it, as a muscle car? Possibly. Okay. It has to have that, like, slightly obnoxious, like, makes too much noise, a little bit rough, a little bit like, grr, arg. And EVs, even though they're super, super powerful... Do you really think grr, arg, when you think an EV? Do you? Do you really, Sam? Um, generally, I don't. But as I said, you know, I mean, that, that Dodge Charger Daytona concept that came out last summer. That could, that could, uh, that could change my, it's, like, classification system. It's, it's kind of got the, I mean, it's not quite an arg. I mean, it's a very different kind of sound. Yeah. But it's going to be loud. Okay. Well, it's going to be obnoxious. What? I, it, and if it's loud and obnoxious, I think it would still count. But that would be the only Loud, obnoxious EV that I could think of, right? Can you think of any? There's no other EV that has any kind of loud, obnoxiousness to it. Mm, no. No. Not, yeah, not at the moment, anyway. So as of today, June 18th, happy Father's Day. Oh, happy Father's Day, Sam. Thank you. Um, and, and a happy Father's Day to your partner as well. Yes. He is he is uh, doing barbecue today as, as he likes to do. That's actually him doing fun things, not doing things I'm <laughs> making him do. Um, but yeah, so I have an EV and I have the Dodge Charger Swinger which is part of the last call. It's funny, you look and you say there were six vehicles. Technically, I think there were seven, depending on who you yeah, count I think there the were seven. SEMA. The SEMA build is technically seven, um, but it's for the Charger and Challenger. And they did all sorts of like one-off things to be like, bye, we're getting rid of the the Gerarg engines. Um, they're not going to exist in the form they are now, but that doesn't really mean they're not going to exist at all necessarily. Just say goodbye to the muscle car as you know it. 
right? I guess that's fair. At, at least from Dodge. At least from maybe. Dodge. Yes, maybe. We, Question mark. There's 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 some there's some rumors out there that you know the the EV may also be available with an internal combustion engine. Yes. Who knows? So maybe it's not really goodbye. Maybe it's just like. So long for now. The, the the one thing we can say for certain is that by the end of the year, Stellantis will have built its last Hellcat V8. Yeah. The, that is absolutely positively going away. That makes me sad. I like the Hellcats. I just knowing they're out there existing in the world. And to now know that them, is loud and obnoxious. That is that is definitely loud and obnoxious, and I love it. It's loud, obnoxious, and perfect. I feel like if you're getting that, you like. Can you imagine if the Hellcat just was like. Like a nice little quiet thing. You want it to be like, like loud. You kind of like my wife's wake up Honda. Your na- yeah. <laughs> yeah, you want it to be loud and obnoxious. You need that in a muscle car. And the Charger Swinger, loud and obnoxious, not Hellcat loud and obnoxious. But it does have a nice little, it, it, it starts up. And it was so funny. I started up my daughter's in the car saying, ooh, that's loud. Because <laughs> you hear the exhaust note is just that fantastic exhaust note. Uh, thankfully, I don't have any early, didn't have any early flights while I had this one. So I didn't wake up. The neighbors, because I always feel bad when I have one of those wonderful, loud, obnoxious cars, and it's four AM, and I start it up in the driveway. Um, so well, I guess why, that's they, why Ford created the the quiet mode for the Mustang. Yes, see, we need a quiet mode on the Charger because it it is loud. So the Swinger Special Edition it takes harkens back to the seventies, and I want to say it was the Dodge. There was Dodge Dart Swinger, yep. I think it was. That was sort of what this takes its cues from. So it's got this green paint. There's like two different greens. Mine's in the F8 green. And apparently there's a white you can get to if you're goofy. And why would you get the white? Like, I feel like if you're getting a 70s throwback style, you want it to be avocado green or harvest gold. And this one is towards the avocado green end of things. Um, and then it gets accents inside, like stitching on the seats. And it, so it's there's like an appearance to it. And there's this big graphic that goes over like the um, on the sides on the rear fenders, like on the quarter panels back there, that's a swinger. Um, and the wheels are this, they call it old. It's not old school with an O, it's gold school with a G because they're gold wheels, but they call it gold school is the color. Because these definitely are not old school wheels. I mean, you no, would, it's you would the not color. have found wheels like this on a on a dark no. swinger in 1972. No, 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 no. You would not have. But the color is old school. So okay. gold school. Get it? Bum, yeah. bum, right? So I thought that was cute. Uh, so it looks the part. You know, it has a fun. And it was funny. I was at the, I was running errands and this lady who, she was a mature lady. She was older. On the older side, oh, I love this She's someone car. who you think might have driven a dart swinger back in the I, early 1970s? I feel like she could have been. I feel like she could have been. So it may have been a little piece of her youth that she was capturing as she saw the car in the parking lot. So it does have neat styling and a neat color. You know, I feel like all the Chargers and Challengers have cool colors. I mean, you, if you're going to build those cars, you have to have fun colors. And I don't, I mean, you can get it in a boring color, I guess. They even Yeah, they make silver, but I just feel like it should be like red or purple or orange or green that sears your eyeballs or something different. And this is definitely different. So a lot of this is about that appearance thing. And inside, when you look on the dashboard, there's a little swinger um, badge, like it's that sort of a yellowy green badge on there. And then when you lift up the hood, right in front of the engine, there's a little thing that says last call and it has like the silhouette of the car. And it says built in Brampton, I think, and designed in Auburn Hills. Does it say Auburn Hills? I don't even know exactly. Auburn Hills is where the, the, the dot, you know, the, the I, was, I went to say it. I'm like, oh my God, are. I forgot where they are. So it has that. So everyone gets a little plaque, and, which is kind of nice. So you have a cute 
little touches and you know that it's, you know, one of a limited run and that it sort of marks the, the end of an era, no matter what happens for, for the brand. Um, it's not, it's not the Hellcat, Hell, it's not the Hellcat. So it doesn't have like crazy, obnoxious, insane power. Um, it has a 6.4 liter V8 as I lose my, yeah, the spot on there. Hemi. And it's a 485 horsepower. So 475 pound feet of torque. So it's still slightly it, less obnoxious, right? Slightly less obnoxious, but still on the scale of obnoxious towards the top. Um, and it, it just, it accelerates like crazy. It sounds amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a kind of car you you have to love driving a car like this because it's never quiet and easy and well mannered. It is forever like yes, so it's fun to drive. Um, it is it's just that straight line muscle car. Let's go, bam! And it's cool. It's always neat to me that it's a Charger because the Challenger does this too, and they have a version of this that's the Challenger. But it, there's something about doing all this in a sedan that you can put your kids in the back seat of. I mean, you can really genuinely use this as a sedan. It's not like we'll wear a sedan only if you don't have legs. Like you can fit in the back seats of this. You can really ride in this. I think that just makes the Charger sort of special that it's a muscle car that can actually serve as a family car if you want it to. Um, yeah. And, you know, both of these, the Challenger and the Charger, uh, are the wide body versions, you know, so yeah. they've got the, the flared out fenders, uh, to cover the, the wider tires. Yes. And yeah, you know, clearly, you know, with, um, you know, if you were to, for some inexplicable reason, select this in a more sedate color, you know, <laughs> th this, you know, this could be a car that you could drive around, you know, at least until people heard it, you know, you could, right. you could drive around relatively unnoticed. Yes. It would be mild mannered if you didn't pick, you know, a Charger's mild-mannered if you don't pick the crazy colors or pick the one that says Swinger in the yeah. decal on the back of it. Um, it's not quite as loud, um, but I kind of feel like, why would you do that when you have all these fun options? I mean, it's fun to pick. Unless you're trying – they do get pricey. I mean, I think the overall, the, the Dodge lineup, it starts – it starts like this one is about this one is sixty five thousand dollars the way that the one I have tricked out I think like the Hellcat isn't the Hellcat somewhere up around ninety grand I think yeah I think they range depending on which variant you get somewhere between seventy five and ninety right okay so yeah so it's like about ninety grand for Hellcat but if you want to go to the very bottom of the Charger lineup you can get one for thirty five so this is kind of in the middle but if you get the mild mannered thirty five thousand dollar version of the Dodge Charger, you still have a pretty, you know, you still have a car that's fun to drive. It still looks fun. It's still, you know, it's, it's not a minivan. If you're not a minivan person, you can still channel some of your inner cool because you're getting a charger to haul your kids in car seats, uh, which I did when the kids were little, so I can't complain. Um, so yeah, so I, I mean, I like the charger. I think it's fun. And I think it's nice that they did these sort of special editions as an homage to something that has such a long history. And I mean, talk about a fan base people, People love their chargers. They love their muscle cars. They just, they're passionate about them. It generates such enthusiasm from people um, or hatred if you hate the fact that they, you know, are. That uh, they even not, exist. That <laughs> they even exist. It's either one. It's polarizing. You love the fact that this car and this lineup exists, or you think it's the downfall of mankind. There's nothing in between those two options. And, well, and those two options are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Correct. Yeah, it could be both. You could yeah. love it and it's the downfall of mankind. Both. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was my my fun. Actually, the other one's fun too, but this is my fun, crazy, in your face. Attracts all kinds of attention. Make sure everybody knows 
that you're their car. That was a charger. In addition to that, I also had um, the future. I had the Genesis G80 Electrified, which is luxury car, sedan, EV. So it is kind of interesting because you had, you know, like you said, they are both sedans um, and, you know, could do the same things except very different powertrains and very different aesthetics. Even if they were both, let's say they were both gas or both EVs, they're such different personalities in terms of the styling and everything they've done. Like the charger's really in your face and bold and everything's big and nothing is refined. It's all very aggressive. The Genesis is like, no, I'm a luxury sedan. I'm going to do all my stuff. I'm going to look really pretty and really refined and really nice while I do it. Um, so it's just one trim of the electrified G80. You don't have a bunch to choose from. Um, and it comes like fully tricked out. It's an $80,000 car, it, which is a lot, but also not a lot when you consider that there is everything that you want to get on this, you're getting on this. It's not like they've left anything off of it. Um, and it's powerful. It's 365 horsepower. So not a charger, but still 365 horsepower. And when you're driving an EV, you have that instant torque. You have that acceleration that it doesn't need to have. It's so weird. It's going to be weird looking at cars as we go forward, Sam, because it used to be all about that horsepower number. You know, it was like, mm -hmm. oh, if it has a lot, it moves. If it has a little, it doesn't. But because of the way torque happens in an EV, it's not the same. You can have something that doesn't have an outrageous horsepower number and it still goes like, you know what? Well, there's an old saying, you know, that people buy horsepower, but they drive torque. Because mm. you know the the way the way most of us drive on a daily basis, you know you're you're not usually driving your car, hopefully, at top <laughs> speed all over yeah. the place. You know you are you know often in stop and go traffic, uh, you know or merging onto a highway, and you know those are the situations you know which which most people encounter on a day to day basis, where power doesn't really come into play. You know, pow power, you know, the, the relationship between torque and power, you know, is, um, you know, it's uh, torque t uh, times uh, times a constant um, over the RPM uh, or t times, the times the RPM over a constant is um, the, is the amount of power you make. So if you have constant torque, you know, as your, as your motor speed or your engine speed increases, your power is going to go up. You know, with an internal combustion engine at relatively low RPMs, you've got relatively little torque, and you know, so you you don't really feel much in the way of responsiveness with an electric motor because of the way they function, where they produce their peak torque right from zero RPM and all the way up until wherever they start to drop off. It feels like it's a lot stronger. Mm -hmm. You know, it may not. You know, depending on how how high it'll rev. You know, it may not have the peak power of of a comparable engine, and so you know you may lose out you know in top end acceleration a little bit right. or top speed, but that's not what people use on a daily basis. It's it's that low end torque that you right. feel and you you experience. Because like so, that, that yeah. top speed, like you know, like you said, the top speed of almost every car we're driving is far past the legal limit of what anybody mm -hmm. can or should be driving in that car on a highway. So even if you could go. 120 in this one, but this one you can go 100. You should not be driving that fast anyway. So what you lose when you get roads. A, not on public roads, not unless you're on a closed course. So you know, you're there's not a lot of times where you're that that 
horsepower, you're going to, like you said, you're going to notice that the torque situation more than you're going to notice, oh, this doesn't have enough horsepower as the other guy. So I, I think it's it, driving EVs. It's, it's an interesting experience. And it's like, if you haven't driven one, and I, I think we kind of think of them, same because we've both driven them multiple times. They're pretty normal. They're part of like, they're just as normal to us as ice vehicles. But to a lot of people, they've never even been in one. You know, really, there aren't a lot of EVs on the road, generally speaking, compared to gas vehicles. So it is a completely different experience driving one. And I, I do think I, I love it when I get someone in a car that has not been an EV, a friend, and, you know, mash the pedal when you get on the highway, when you're first accelerating, because they don't expect it. It is so instantaneous and it is so aggressive. And I think a lot of people who don't really know cars still think of EVs as like, well, it's it's just right on the nine volt battery that's in my smoke detector. This is going to be lame. And yeah. they're not, you know, but that would be- they may have ridden in a golf cart. Right, and and they're thinking of it in those in that kind of from that kind of perspective. So they're not their perspective is not what EVs actually are. So it is it does require a bit of a shift. So you know this this accelerates like an EV. It drives like an EV. It has the power that that, you know and the the aggression that you expect from an EV, but none of the gur arg of a gas engine like what you have in the Charger. Um, I like driving. I like Genesis. I'm a fan of the brand just because for a lot of reasons, but they are, I've had a lot of them lately and they are a luxury car that delivers a true luxury premium experience for less than you will get for comparably equipped cars from the competition. So you can like, this is $80,000. This is not a cheap car. This is out of the budget for a huge number of people. But what you get for 80 grand is just like everything. There's a 14.5 inch infotainment screen, 12.3 inch digital instrument cluster. You have a head up display. You've got all the safety. You've got Napa leather seats and the headliner. It is an Alcantara, I don't think specifically, but it's that suede microfiber. So that looks, you know, so it just looks and feels beautiful. There's a 16 way power adjustable seats for the driver and the front passenger. They're heated, they're ventilated. I mean, it's not like you need to add anything else to this. You got all the luxury stuff in this as it comes, which is part of what makes, like I said, it makes it, it feels weird to say that a luxury car is a good value, but if you're looking for a luxury car, this one is. It's an, you know? Yeah, and you know, when you compare this against other elect, you know, luxury electric sedans, you know, it's actually a pretty good value. You know, mm-hmm. the Mercedes EQE starts at seventy-five thousand. Um, and I'm not. I think this is a little bit bigger than an EQE. I think it's closer, actually, closer in size to an EQS. The EQS starts at one hundred and four thousand, mm-hmm. and you're, you know, you're getting pretty much everything you're going to get in those vehicles. Uh, you know, so I think, I think it's you know, as, as Genesis, you know, and the Hyundai Motor Group in general, you know, when you compare them to, you know, direct competitors, you know, the, mo- the most equivalent vehicles from other brands, you know, even as their prices have gone up, they still remain a v- an excellent value. Right. And that's, I mean, that's, and I still think they're trying to shed the, the image. And I just, I wish everybody like, go to your neighbors, go to your friends, tell them that Hyundai and Kia are actually decent vehicles. And that so is Genesis that they just cannot shake it every single time I have anything from this brand. And I share anything on social media. There are always a good number of people like, oh, I wouldn't buy those garbage cars. They're junk. They fall apart. I'm like, when was the last time you got in a car from the Hyundai Motor Group? When? <laughs> like, it's so hard to shed that impression. And then people look at Genesis and like, well, gosh, Hyundai and Kia are these like really bargain brands. Why on earth would I buy a 
luxury vehicle from one of these guys. I'm like, well, you know, Toyota is a cheaper brand than um, Lexus. Honda is a cheaper brand than Acura. You're willing to do it for them. Why wouldn't you do it for these guys? I, I, it makes me vaguely cranky that people will not give these guys a chance. Like, come on, uh, just give Genesis a chance. Um, and this one has, it has a good range. I mean, it's an EV. You have uh, two up to a 282 mile range, which again, your average day, you're not going to need to stop and find any place to charge. This 282 is going to take care of it. It does the fast charging. So you can go from 10 to 80% in 22 minutes. So you can get most of that battery back in 22 minutes. If you have a level two in your garage, you want to plug it in eight hours. So charges overnight, charges really quick to 80%, 22 minutes. And they have a deal with Electrify America. So you get three years of complimentary 30-minute DC fast charging sessions. Which if you are out and about, and the reason some people ask like, why is it only 30 minutes? Because they don't want everybody just constantly always topping off their vehicle and just like, you know, just because it's free, I'm going to top it off here. Like they want to still, it's, it's to sort of level that demand at their chargers from what I'm told. Well, and you know, if you are using it, you know, for road trips for, you know, for longer trips, mm -hmm. you know, within that 30 minutes, you're going to get most of a charge anyway. I mean, you're going to get, you know, from 10, certainly from 10 to, you know, 80% and probably closer to 90%. Yeah. Assuming you can find a properly functional Electrify America charger, <laughs> which is a whole detail, other Sam. detail. But you know, if, if the charger is working correctly, yes. then yeah, I mean, you're going to get most of your charge in that 30 minute window anyway. Right. And so you're just going to be you, on your way. Yeah. If you want more than 30 minutes, really, you're doing that because the, the charging rate slows so much as you once you hit that 80%, you can sort of like watch like and you charge slower and slower as you approach that 100%. You'd be sitting at that charger for a while just trying to get to that hundred and it's really not worth it. Go you're, it's going to be better in the end to charge to about 80 or 80. If you want to wait exactly to it, take off, do the rest of your road tripping. And when it gets back down to 10, do it again. It's still going to be quicker than waiting to get to that from 80 to a hundred. It's just, that's, it's painfully slow for that last little bit. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what, uh, what I would definitely recommend if you are, uh, you know, if you are planning longer trips like that with an EV, is to use something like a better route planner, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, when you put your information there, you put in the information about the car you're driving. So it's got a database of all the different EVs that are available. Uh, you put in your, your starting point and your destination, and it will go through and optimize. And, you know, you can, so you can optimize for, you know, uh, lowest cost or for shortest trip length, you know, between two points. And if you go for shortest trip length, it will tell you, okay, you know, when you're starting here, you know, you're, if you're starting here from, you know, 85% state of charge, here's where you should stop and charge and how long you should stay there, you know. Right. And then, you know, once you hit that 15, 20, 25 minute mark, whatever it is that it tells you, you know, then move on and go to the next stop on the trip because it, it know it has the data about, you know, the, the charge curves for all the different EVs. And so it knows, you know, for example, it, okay, you're going to charge to 60% at this charger because you're going to, uh, you know, once you get past that, you know, it's starting to slow down the charging rate. And if you stop, you know, and 150 miles at this next charger and charge from, you know, say 8% to 75%, that's going to take you less overall time 
right. than if you just dated that first charger and charged right. to 100%. Because you're, your intuition is like, I should, because yeah. you think like gas cars. Right. You want to fill it up all the way because filling it up is filling it up. It doesn't get slower as your tank gets full. So you're like, might as well fill it all the way while I'm here. And EVs just don't work that way. So there, there is a weird reset your brain to like, sometimes it is best to not fully charge this vehicle, to stop it here, 75, 78, 80%, and just stop again, again later on to charge it rather than just sitting and waiting, which is complete shift from how we've always done things in the past. So that's a little bit different. Um, so I like, so I like the Genesis and I, and you know, and it does have all the, it, you know, it has a very strong acceleration, but it's also very well-mannered because it's a luxury car. There's nothing harsh about this. You know, the ride is smooth. It is incredibly quiet. You just hear nothing. I don't just mean the engine. I mean, you don't hear the sound outside the windows. You're driving on the highway. You're not going to hear the trucks. It's, it really creates the serene interior experience, which is something that's part of a luxury car's ride and should be a part of every luxury car. And then the suspension system is incredibly compliant. Like you will not notice going over bumps in the road. You will not notice seams in the pavement. You won't notice like that pebbled pavement. It takes a lot. It takes a significant Michigan or New Hampshire pothole to make this thing go, oops, the road is not perfect. <laughs> Most of them it, it takes care of and that's saying something because the roads here and I know where you are, Sam, are not great because we all get winter weather. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, so riding, so you know, so it does, it does the EV thing beautifully with fast charging. It does the luxury car thing beautifully in terms of the features and the overall ride quality. It just be, it's beautiful to drive. It's incredibly relaxing to drive. So you don't feel like this feels like the kind of car, if you were going to road trip in this, it would be easy on you. Some cars you road trip and you think, you know, after a couple hours, just driving straight in the highway, you're just tired because there's noise and you're just stiff and whatever. 16-way power adjustable seats, nice quiet ride. I could feel like I could do this in a road trip, no problem. Cool. Yeah, you know, just this morning, yesterday and this morning, I was watching a video that our uh, our friend uh, Roman Micah did. Um, he was driving a Tesla Model 3 back from Florida, back to Colorado after his son, uh, Oh, after Tommy. Tommy did his run, yes. Yeah, and we still don't know what the results of that were. Uh, they haven't mm -hmm. published that video yet. But Roman did a road trip video, you know, driving back 2,000 miles from Florida to Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, you see, you know, a, a lot of what, you know, what we just talked about with, you know, when when is the right time to stop? You know, which which charger should you stop at based on how fast it can charge? But, you know, it was even though, you know, it's a, you know, it's a long trip, you know, it was not a terrible trip you know, in that car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think that, yeah. And that's kind of, I feel like how the Genesis would be. I feel like if you're going to do that crazy long road trips like TFL, what are they calling it? D, D, they have a thing. D to D. D to D. Disneyland to Disney World, they call it D to D. If you're going to do the D to D trip uh, in an EV, I feel like, you know, Tesla would be good. I feel like this G80 would be really comfy to do that trip in. Yeah, I mean, you tried that trip earlier this year and I did. ran into bad weather in Alabama that kind of derailed things. We did that stinking southern weather with the rain and the torrential downpours the and the potential and tornado warnings. <laughs> and the, oh my gosh, it's raining cats and dogs. We should probably call it right about here. But uh, yeah, so I feel like that was fine. I feel like, but I do think that the that the Genesis is probably, I mean, it should be, I feel like it's a, probably even smoother and quieter, you know, because the EV6 is a great vehicle, but it's not a luxury car, you yeah. know? So it did a beautiful job, but it's not a luxury car. So, well, ho hopefully, at some point in the not too distant future, we might have a chance to uh, to try again in, in something else that is even more of a luxury car. 
Yes, I know. I, we'll see. Like, super secrets. We'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right. Um, so I had something that was not a sedan, uh, not electric. <laughs> oh. um, it did have four doors and four wheels, so. Uh, so it's a muscle car? No. <laughs> no, no it was, it's not a muscle car. Uh, but it, it, was, it was fun to drive. Um, <clears throat> with the, uh, I had the Ford Maverick Tremor. And Ford Maverick or Ford Ranger? You have written here no, Ford Ranger. Did I, did I write Ranger? You wrote Ford I'm, Ranger. I'm, so, and I'm like, wait, what now? No, I meant Maverick. It's Ford the, Maverick. I had okay. the Maverick Tremor. Okay. Let me re, let me change that in the rundown. Yes, it was the <laughs> the Maverick Tremor, um, which uh, which is not a Ranger and it's not an F one fifty and it's not a Super Duty. Mm-mm. This is Ford's little trucklet. And anybody that's been listening to us for more than five minutes knows that we are all big fans of the Maverick. Yes. Um, but let me cut right to the chase. If I was going to buy a Maverick, I mm-hmm. don't think this is the one I'd buy. Why not? What didn't you like about the Tremor? It's not that I didn't like anything. Well, the fuel economy was just so-so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially when I compare it to my next-door neighbor's Maverick. You know, they my next-door neighbors have a Maverick XL that they paid twenty thousand dollars for. Okay. That with the hybrid powertrain, it gets forty miles per gallon. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it. This you know the Tremor is. Based on the, the, you know, the Maverick comes in three trim levels, the XL, XLT, and the Lariat. Um, I recommend that anybody that wants to buy a Maverick should probably just buy the XL. You know, in mm-hmm. fact, we had an episode that was just, I think it was titled, Just just Get the XL. Yeah, just get the uh, XL. Yep. <laughs> um, you, know, the, uh, you know, the XLT adds some more features to it, which are nice. And it's not too much of a price bump over the XL. When you start to get to the Tremor or the, the the Lariat, the price starts to get up there for what you get. And I I had the same comments you know several years back when I first drove the the Ranger, you know when I when the the mod, the current generation Ranger, the first one I had my hands on was a Lariat, you know, and that one was something like forty two thousand dollars, and you know the Ranger. Uh, the current gen Ranger, like the Maverick, you know, the interior was mostly it's fairly utilitarian, you know, mostly hard plastic surfaces. Doesn't feel particularly premium. 
which is not necessarily a bad thing. There's there's nothing wrong with being utilitarian. Um, you know, not everything has to be you know really super premium feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all depends on you know the price point and what you're getting. You know, if you're getting good value, and I didn't think that that was necessarily a great value uh, in that vehicle. Uh, you know, it was it was you know that that Ranger Lariat was fairly pricey, and the same thing is true of the uh, the Maverick Lariat. Once you get up to the Lariat trim level, you know the Lariat starts at. Twenty-eight thousand three thirty-five. Mm-hmm. So, like, actually, when you factor in, you know, just delivery, you're up to almost thirty grand. Yeah. Um, and then, if you bump that, if you add in the two-liter EcoBoost four-cylinder instead of the hybrid, which is what I had, um, <coughs> then you know you're adding another uh, almost two grand to that. Actually, more, a little more than two grand to that. It's about twenty-two hundred dollars mm-hmm. to go from the hybrid to the two-liter EcoBoost. And if you want the Tremor, the two-liter EcoBoost is is the only option. So the Tremor is the the basically the off-road package uh, for uh, for the um, for the Maverick. So I I think you know th- this has you know the 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 Maverick Tremor has a lot of you know mostly the same hardware that you will find in a Ford Bronco Sport, uh, and you know. The Bronco Sport's a great little vehicle. You know, it's got the same four-wheel drive system and everything else because they share the same platform. They're all mm-hmm. they're all based on the same platform. Uh, nothing, you know, no nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I think if what you want is, I think I, I have I would have a hard time justifying, you know, given the the off-road ability of the Maverick Tremor. You know, it doesn't have a huge amount of ground clearance, you know, so it's not going to be a great off-road vehicle. You yeah. know, it'll handle trails and stuff fine, you know, but some basic trails. But it's not, you know, it's not a big jet. It's not like a Raptor or anything like that. Um, and the I think if if what you want is an off-roadable vehicle in kind of the size class, I think for most people, the Bronco Sport is actually going to be a better choice. Yeah, I, I agree. It was funny when they did the launch for the Maverick um, and they had a little off-road section, but it was a very mild off-road. It was more just driving like down a dirt mm-hmm. road, like an actual road, but it right. was dirt, you know, and you were driving off-road. It wasn't like there was pavement. And I asked about it like, hey, so, you know, in terms of off-roading and this, they're kind of like, mm, this isn't, if you're really a hardcore off-road, if off-road is really your priority, probably Maverick is not the right choice from the lineup like they had said in terms of trucks they're like go with the ranger if you don't want to go to an f-150 go with the ranger and that's what they you know if you want a truck and you want to off-road and you want to stick with ford ranger is going to be your off-road option because they really he's like you know that's not who's buying this truck that's not who really made this truck for that's not the point of this one so the having the charm package is cool but and it gives you you know but it's not it's not your real off-road truck because it's not really designed for that customer it's a great mulch hauler it is a great yeah. mulch. I mean, it is it is a fantastic <laughs> truck for what the vast majority of people need a yes. truck for. Right. But you know, it's you know, if if you want the off road capability, you know, the Bronco Sport, you know, has shorter overhangs, so you can have better approach and departure angles. It's got a little bit shorter wheelbase, so you can have a better breakover angle. Um, it's got you know, it's a little more ground clearance. Um, you know, it's enclosed you know so you can put all your gear inside you know the one of the things i like you know when they launched the bronco sport you know they talked about how 
you know, it's got that kind of step roof in there, mm -hmm. which is something they added, you know, during the course of the design process when they realized, you know, we want to be able to give owners the ability, for example, to put their bicycles, their, their very expensive mountain bikes inside, you know, mm -hmm. take off the front wheel, stick it inside. And so they added that extra bit of roof height in there, you know, to accommodate that sort of thing. And I think that, you know, it is better suited for the kinds of things, you know, you, you know, if you, if you like the way the, the Maverick Tremor looks, go for it. Be yes. my guest. You know, it does look a little more off-roady, a little sportier. But if you actually want, really want the capability, I think Ford has better choices in their lineup mm -hmm. uh, than than the, the Maverick Tremor. That said, I still love the Maverick. Yeah, you know, I think you know it's got great. You know, it's it's roomy enough inside for for certainly for four adults. Um, you know, the the interior is extremely functional. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yes, it's hard plastics, and that's why I say you know. The XL or even the XLT, you know, it it's a better fit at those price points and those those, those trims, um, you know, because you still get the same basic, you know, they're nicely textured surfaces, so they yeah. don't feel quite as cheap as as what they are. <laughs> um, you know, they 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 look good, um, you know, and you've got all the things you know we've talked about before. You know, Robbie, you know, when he had one, you know, he got downloaded the. Um, the, the 3D models right. uh, to, for his, his 3D printer, you know, to make cup holders and things like that. You still have the notches in the, the bed, you know, so you can make your own bike rack out of some two by fours and clamps and stuff like that. Uh, so it, it's still, it has all the functionality um, and, you know, it has decent payload. You know, I think depending on the trim level you get, you can get about uh, 1500 pounds of payload in a mm -hmm. Maverick, which by the way, is about 300 pounds more payload than you get in a Hummer EV pickup. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, so, it, you know, I think the, the Maverick is still a fantastic truck. As equipped, the, the pricing sheet that Ford sent me for this one, and, and the pricing has changed a little bit. They've done a little bit of repackaging since this, was, this truck was built, you know, last fall or uh, earlier this year, and since the pricing sheet was put together. So as delivered uh the pricing sheet on this one came out to thirty seven thousand four hundred and sixty five dollars wow that's a lot yeah um and i i repriced it on the ford website today i actually did i think they've actually just changed the pricing again in recent <laughs> days because i did it earlier in the week and it actually came out to a little bit over thirty eight thousand dollars um, but when I just did it again now, just before we started recording, uh, it came to slightly less. It actually came to, uh, 37, uh, 37, 335. So it's just uh, like about $130 less. So at this point, someone at Ford is just punking you their weight. Let's just change it again. Wait 20 minutes, change it again. Yeah, exactly. change it so that Sam has to keep recalculating the cost it's, of this truck. It's kind of like Amazon and their dynamic pricing. Yes. Yeah. Just woo, up and down, up and down, yeah, up and down. Or, or buying an airline ticket. Yes. Um, one thing that, that has definitely changed uh, since the this truck I drove was priced out was the delivery charge. So you want to take a guess at what the original delivery charge was? Oh God, you know I'm terrible at this, um, but I win no matter what unless I go over. Um, uh, uh, Twelve hundred. Uh, more than that, it was fourteen oh. ninety five. Ooh. Uh, and now, if you order one today, that has actually gone up by a hundred dollars to fifteen ninety five. So sixteen ninety five. Sixteen hundred dollars for delivery charge. Um, Sixteen hundred. I didn't ask you on. Oh, I didn't ask you what it was. I have this the Dodge 
thing sitting in front of me. What do you think destination was in the charger? I'm going to take a guess at 1500 or, you know, 1495. Oh, you were so close. You should have said 15, 1595. Oh, okay. So it's about the same price as yeah. the Maverick. That's what I thought it was. So it's exactly the same as what the Maverick exactly. is now. Yeah. Yeah. Right um, now, as we record on Father's Day, ask us in 20 minutes and the pricing will have changed yeah, again. Exactly. Um, no, I like, I, I, I'm really a big fan of the Maverick and I think it's neat because it, it, it fills a spot, you know, trucks are versatile. Not everybody needs something huge um, and not everybody needs something fancy. I like that the Maverick very much feels to me like the truck you get. If you're like, I want the versatility of the truck. I don't want to spend a fortune on, on fancy accessories and bells and whistles and all this craziness and suddenly take my truck and add an extra $10,000 worth of stuff I'm not going to need. I want to throw a two by four in the back and make it two levels. I just want to print out this 3D printed thing that holds exactly what I want the way I want. I don't know, go buy in some you know, thousand dollar accessory. I like that. It feels like a small truck for people who really want to use the truckiness of the truck. They want to make use of the bed, but they don't want to overbuy. I feel like it's the truck you get when you don't want to overbuy. It's yeah. just right size. Yeah. I mean, you know, it can, you know, haul 15 bags of mulch or topsoil for your garden. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, but it's, it's still small enough that you can drive it and easily park it around town, you know, so it's not, you know, if you've ever tried to park a, oh an F-150 or a Super Duty in a, in a busy urban area, it's uh, it's a challenge. It's it's not to be underestimated. You know, part of the challenge I feel like for me, or for you too, probably is we're not in the same car every week. So when you drive your same your car all the time, you start to get a sense of how close your car is to the curb, how close your car is to the car next to you. You're pulling in, but because we're constantly varying car sizes, your sort of spatial awareness. You're like, wait. I was driving a subcompact and now I'm in a super duty. Help me. Like, it's very hard. We'll, we'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. And so it's hard to go back and forth, but this is a good one. The, the Maverick is a size that you can still easily drive it through congested cities and in heavy traffic and navigate in and out of things and not feel like it's so big that it becomes unwieldy. I, I love trucks this size. I like little trucks. I like small trucks. I think they're cool. Yeah. All right. Well, as long as we're on the topic of Ford trucks. Yes. Why don't we skip to the other end of the Ford truck lineup? Okay. Um, you know, so you got the Maverick, you know, as the the anchor, you know, at the at the well, actually, kind of the opposite of the anchor, but it's at the at the entry <laughs> level point. You know, yes, more affordable, more reasonable size. It's the truck for I think most people. Mm -hmm. And then at the other end, you know, in in between there, you have the Ranger and the F one hundred and fifty. Yes. And then you have the Ford Super Duties. Talk about Gur Arg. That yeah. is <laughs> so. You and I were both at Ford's Michigan Proving Grounds in Romeo on mm -hmm. uh, Tuesday morning, this past Tuesday morning, yes. uh, to get our first sampling of the uh, the 2024 Ford Super Duty, which has been reworked, upgraded, updated. Uh, you know, it still it still looks like a Super Duty, mm -hmm. uh, but they have you know incorporated some of the design cues that we've seen over the last couple of years in the F-150s, in the, the the Ranger and the Maverick in terms of the front end look. Uh, but you know, the Super Duty ranges you know at the the entry level of the Super Duty lineup is the F-250, um, you know, and then it goes all the way up to the F-750. Fifty technically, I think is still considered part of the Super Duty. Okay. So from a, a class a class two A or class two B truck, you know. So these are all trucks that have a maximum gross vehicle weight rating of over eighty five hundred pounds. Um, so that means you know the the maximum combined weight of the truck and its payload is somewhere over eighty five hundred pounds, which is a big heavy vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, and then you know class seven, I think is. 
somewhere, uh, I believe it's like around 30,000 pounds GVW. Um, and then you have all these variants in between. So the, the 250, 350, and 450 are pickup trucks. And then beyond that, the 550, 650, 750 are generally available. They're, they're available as chassis cabs. And these are the ones that you see, for example, after a storm and your power lines are down uh, and your local utility, you know, the line crews are out there with their bucket trucks. Those, those, that equipment is mounted mm-hmm. on the back of an F550 or F650 chassis. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have the, the, the cab you know, that you have with the other super duties, the pickups, but all kinds of other equipment or ambulances or mm-hmm. airport shuttles, you know, all kinds of stuff that they get used for. These are working vehicles and normal people don't buy any of those. <laughs> Some normal people buy, you know, 250s, 350s, 450s. Right. Um, and, you know, we got a chance to go through several different um, exercises with the, uh, with the super duties on Tuesday morning. First of which was towing. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, you know, most people don't need to tow a house around, for example. But you could if you had one of these. <laughs> you certainly could. <laughs> um, which one did you drive for the tow? I, I drove, I did, there were, there were like five or six different yeah. vehicles that they had set up with towing. And they had like a boat and they had one that had 40,000 pounds of were they jersey barriers in the back i'm forgetting what it was uh, I yeah like it was, I, th- uh, I think it was just something it, like that but then it was forty thousand pounds of ballast of ballast and it was great because there's this giant trailer and it had numbers giant numbers it said forty thousand pounds in case you forgot yeah what you were hauling um th- this stuff was so heavy like you need a commercial driver's license to drive this stuff, which mm-hmm. I don't know why we did it on the track. Exactly. Which <laughs> is why we're on a closed course. Like we did on road driving in some of this stuff, not that, not the 40,000 pounds because you need a CDL. So, um, we, that's the only way, like, it's interesting. The capability of these has gotten so, is so crazy. Like we can't take you on the road in this cause y'all can't drive on the road legally. <coughs> so we drive it on the scores and they let you drive these cause I drove a couple. They let you drive them on. There was, was it a 7% grade? I think or something. Yeah. There was a 7% grade. So you're, you're getting to drive it up a hill and that's a lot of weight. I don't care how big the vehicle is and how burly it is. It's a lot of weight. And it does an amazing job of making you feel, I felt like in every iteration, like I'm nervous hauling 40,000 pounds of stuff behind me, but just you, there's a sense of confidence to driving these. Like it feels like, yes, you know, you're towing. Yes. You know, you've got a lot of weight back there. Yes. You know, you have to be careful and take corners wide, which is a giant long trailer, but it is very confidence instilling. And I say that as someone who does not, typically tow things. I don't have a need to tow in my day to day. So to take me from my average every day, my little Wrangler for four by E in the driveway to here, tow 40,000 pounds, Nicole, that's a stretch. So to say that I could still feel confident towing in this and still feel like it was capable and controlled and not feel nervous is really saying something. Cause I'm not the person who does this every day. No, and neither am I, you know, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity over the last, uh, 13, 14 years to do, you know, reasonable amount of towing, you know, on, on various drive programs. Um, and, you know, some of them are more confidence inspiring than others. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was one that uh, we drove last year 
um, that was not particularly confidence-inspiring. And that was with a trailer that was only 6,500 pounds. That's not good. Um, yeah, and you could, you could feel the, the trailer swaying back and forth and, you know, at 60 miles an hour. Uh, I bet I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm trying we, to think. We, I think we talked about it. We're not going to yes. mention it. I think right. we mentioned it. Well, yes, yes, I know it is. Yes. Um, but, you know, with... I, I drove two different Super Duties with 30,000-pound trailers on them. One was a fifth-wheel gooseneck trailer, and the other one was what's known as a, a, a pindle hitch, um, you know, which is a different kind of hitch that's got a surprising amount of slop on it, let's say. <laughs> um, you know, and even though you, know, it, you, know, you can at times you know, feel it moving around and shifting a little bit, it was still very confidence inspiring. And one of the cool things that they've done on these new super duties is found ways to take some of the driver assist tech that we've become used to on our normal vehicles and apply it in in useful ways, adapt it to these kinds of trailers, you know, or trucks and trailer combinations where the trailer itself might be, you know, 20, 25, 30 feet long. Um, you know, one example is blind spot monitors. You know, mm -hmm. most modern vehicles now have a couple of short range radar sensors on the, the rear corners, um, to, you know, you know, to give you an alert, you know, if you're change, if you're about to change lanes and there's somebody in your blind spot that you couldn't see, um, or when you're backing out of a, a parking space, you know, to give you the cross traffic alert, when you're towing a trailer that size, you know, on the, the trucks, they have the blind spot monitor radars incorporated, integrated into the, the taillight assemblies. When you add another 20 to 30 feet of trailer behind you, that radar sensor is pretty much useless back right. there. But what Ford has done is they've come up with a remote system. So if you have a big, long trailer, you can get an extra pair of radar sensors that you actually mount on the trailer and you go into the settings in the truck and you tell it, you know, how long the trailer is, where the sensors are located. And then it will use, the, it'll use those radar sensors to give you that blind spot warning, you know, from the radar sensors mounted on the sides of the trailer, which is great, very handy, you know, great for safety, you know, to mm -hmm. give you a little more confidence, you know, when you're about to change lanes that there's nobody there that you're about to whack off the side of the road <laughs> with that, with that 30 foot trailer. Um, you know, uh, other thing, you know, similarly, they've done that with the backup camera. You can get a remote backup camera that you install on the back of the truck or in the back of the trailer, you know, because obviously, you know, your backup camera that's, that's on the, the truck itself, you're not going to be able to use that when you've got a trailer <laughs> behind you. Right. Um, and so, you know, they've adapted that in a pretty cool way and, you know, various other things as well. Um, so uh they you know they've they've done some cool things to make towing easier and like you said you know going up that 7% grade or going down the 7% grade right. you know, that's that's a you know you that's a relatively steep hill that you're going yeah. down and the the trailer brake uh the trailer brake assist that they use uh you know it's not the way they're doing it is not an entirely it's not a new way i mean i first what they're doing is they're using the variable geometry turbo to create more back pressure, you know, to, to help slow you down without using the brakes so you don't overheat the brakes. Well, I, I drove back in 2010, I drove GM heavy duty pickups that had the same kind of system on there. So this is something that's been around for a while, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a good solution to help, you know, make going down hills a little more confidence inspiring. Um, so just generally it worked really well, you know, hauling, you know, 
15 tons of extra mass in addition to the weight of the truck itself. Right. Um, and those, those are all with diesel engines with their, their big power stroke diesel engines. Right. And, and I like, they've added a lot of features too that aren't new to Ford, but are new to the super duty. Um, like they've, there's, there's, I like some of the, just the useful stuff. If you're someone who's hopping into the bed of your truck, there's a little side step that's built into mm. like the side, like just behind the cab. And it's, it's a fairly wide step. Like you could stand there with two feet easily. It's not a one foot step. It's like two feet. And you can, so if you want to like check in the back, you can check in the back and reach what's in the back. They did the same thing in the quarter bumper. They, that one's more of a one foot kind of deal, but they also put a tiny little notch into the side of the bed. So you can stick your hand there and kind of pull it. So you are holding on with one hand. It's not like you're just grabbing the side of the truck and your fingers are slipping. Even by a little two foot step, there's like a sort of a textured edge on the inside. So as you put your hand there, there's something to grab like little things like that, that they did that don't sound like a big deal until you're trying to step up into this giant truck to reach something in the bed. You can actually reach up into it. And something else that I really love, they have a camera that's built into the tailgate so oh, when yeah. you, this was so cool. So when you lower the tailgate, if you're backing up to a loading dock and your tailgate is down, your rear camera is not helping you because it's looking at the ground now, right? You're seeing nothing. They have one that's built into the edge of the tailgate. So you actually can see the loading dock. You see as you're getting closer and closer to the dock and it even has a little um, like sensor. So it knows that the tailgate is down and it has sensors. There's one yep. camera yep. and four Both the ultrasonic sensors. sensors and the camera. Yeah, uh, so, in the top edge of the tailgate. So, so when this it's down. is all, yeah. So when it's down, all those sensors are pointing at whatever you're backing up towards, and it gives you a little warnings, like it shows a little image of the truck, and it shows you you get to look at blinks red, blinks orange, or blinks. It starts like green, yellow, and it gets orange and red, and it blinks and its sensors and all this stuff. And this was cool too. They all these like sensors and things. Another neat thing that they did. When, as far as the, um, oh, what do they call it? The scales, the load leveling, the load, oh, I the load scales, yeah. load scale. the smart, smart scales. I think they the, call it, which them. is another, just making your life easier thing. So you can see inside the truck, how it's, you know, as you're loading up your mulch, because you must carry mulch, you can see how close you're getting out to maxing that payload. And it's funny because it, you're included, you're part of the payload of the truck when you sit in there. So you can see as you hop in the truck. You can see the number, like they had it set. So as soon as like a human sat down, it was enough that it popped it over the weight as they were just in this little demo thing. You could see it go to red. Like when you hopped out and it went to green. But you can see it on the back of the truck too. Once again, stuff they did in the back. So the taillights have a little sensor in it and it kind of shows red as it's blinking up. If you go over it, it gets to a solid, it shows you. Like you can see, like I have, so you don't have to hop into the front so you'll of your see truck. A, a, strict, a, a string of a string red of LEDs in the, yeah. in the tail light cluster that go up, you know, as you load it up, you know, it tells you, right. it tells you when you've hit your max weight. So that you can see. And it's, you know, you, we, we were playing with it. So it was not at its max weight with the bark mulch that was in it. But once you hopped on the truck, it was. So we had like the four guys like hop on those little bumper steps. And all of a sudden you can see that it maxes out. So these little convenience things, the, you know, being able to see as you're backing up to loading dock that your tailgate is or is not going to whack that whack the back knowing as you're loading stuff into it yeah you can see that you're right there as you're throwing things into it oh wait we've gone over we need to pull some stuff out we've gone too high they added some nice convenience things like that just make it a little bit easier to do the work that you're probably going to do if you're buying a truck this size this isn't just for kicks and giggles you're doing some kind of work if you're buying a truck that's this capable and i thought i, I kind of thought those features were just sort of neat 
I, I don't. I guess in a way, sometimes kind of a safety feature because you're not overloading your truck, you're not damaging your mm-hmm. truck. No, it's absolutely a safety feature. So I call them safety slash convenience because it also makes it a lot easier to be safe. So I like those were two features. I thought those were kind of neat. Those so, amused me. So how close were you able to get to the barrier when you were? We they had a little backup competition. They had us yes. do it manually. Like where they put a piece of tape over the camera. Yep. Um, you know, and try to back up. You know, and eyeball it. You know, with the mirrors. And then, you know, then they put the, they took the tape off and had us do it, you know, from the camera. Yes. And I should say they, they made a fake loading dock. So if we tapped it, we were tapping a piece of styrofoam yeah. <laughs> so we could get close. Like if you went too far, you just, you just failed. <laughs> you didn't like take anything out. I was not close at all because again, I don't drive, I don't do trucks a lot. So backing up totally out of my element. Right. I'm like, oh, yeah, this feels good. The first time I was 20 inches away from the loading dock without the camera. But once I put the use the camera, I was six inches away, which is still further than you need to be. But considering that I was guessing when I was just eyeballing it, 20 inches, somebody loading up is going to throw stuff into the truck. Or when I use the camera, six inches away. How close were you? He's like, I was like two um, centimeters. See, with without the camera, uh, I think I got to about ten inches, uh, and with the camera, I got down to one and a quarter inches. Yeah. But Bob Gritzinger, uh, our friend. From oh yeah! Sports, How did he do this? He, he apparently got down like half an inch. Yeah. So Bob was like, I don't know what kind of superhero skills he channeled, but he was like right there. Yeah. So yeah. So but it and it was you know the the thing that you notice everybody without fail. You do without the camera, you're further away because you're nervous about how close you are. And you're, it's hard to judge that how close you are. You're, you're, you're really, truly guessing to a point, um, just looking in your mirrors and stuff. Once you have the camera, you can literally see how close you're getting and it's telling you, and it's, it's much easier to get close enough so that you don't have a giant gap or have to get out and like, no, come back a little further. You're not back far enough. If there's no one there to guide you mm-hmm. to loading dock or whatever it is that you're trying to load up into your truck. So I thought that was pretty neat. And it was a fun game and well, go Bob. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we also got to drive, uh, F-350 tremors yes. as well. Um, so, um, uh, those, 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 we actually did drive off-road and, uh, you know, we got to try out some of the features that they've added again for the super duty this year. Some of it has been on other Ford vehicles, Yes. most notably trail control and trail turn assist, yes. which we've had on the, on the Maverick, uh, yes. for, uh, or not on the Maverick, the Bronco, the Bronco. Yes. Thank you mm-hmm. very much. You're the welcome. Bronco. Uh, so you get to do some one pedal driving basically with trail control and then, um, the trail turn assist that uh, you crank the wheel, um, to all the way to one side. Uh, it locks the inside rear wheel to help the thing turn much sharper and on big, long trucks like this. That is a very handy feature if you're trying to get around some turns, some it's tight ve- trails. It is very handy. And they let us play around with it. They had a just a big stack of orange cones, one stack of orange cones, and you could basically do a donut around it. And you could do it, you know, don't use a trail turn assist and turn. And you like this huge wide turn that you're taking around this cone. And then as soon as you put the trail turn assist on, it's almost the first time I did it, it was almost so tight that I whacked the cone. Like it made that much of a difference. I'm like, oh, I'm really pulling this tight. Um, and, it, you know, it's something, it's a feature that just like in the Bronco, you turn it on, it doesn't do anything unless it needs to do anything. You're just driving straight, you're turning a little bit, fine. As soon as you crank it all the way and you're all the way to the left or all the way to the right, then it locks that inside rear wheel so that you pull a really, really tight turn. And it is the fun, it's neat to watch because you can see the tires, you know, spinning, 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 lock. And you see all the other tires going and it's just like pivoting on that that back tire. 
Um, I thought, you know, trail turn assist, great. It's off your off-roading. But honestly, I feel like you could use that in some places where you're like in like in real environments. You know, you're out you're out in the city, you're out in a tight road or whatever. You could actually use this not necessarily on the trail because big trucks are big and they're hard oh, to yeah. navigate through narrow areas. So that was kind of neat. I think that's the coolest thing, trail turn assist. I just love that. And then uh, oh, one more thing we saw at the track before we went on our road drive um, was the automatic uh trailer hitch assist i can't remember the exact branding for it but you know if you're trying to hook up your your truck to a trailer um with doing that without a spotter is actually quite challenging basically you kind of need to have a spotter Mm -hmm. you know to help you with that unless you have this feature which is something that first i first saw uh they launched it a few months ago on the f-150 uh, and I got a demo of it at the New York Auto Show, um, but uh, this was—I think this is the first time you saw it, um, mm-hmm. and it was pretty cool. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So it it lets you like basically your your it it finds the trailer. You're parked behind it. You're you're about to hook up your trailer. You're trying to it sees the trailer sort of, and it's like okay, it gives you like sort of like a bullseye, and you're supposed no matter you don't have to line it up. In terms of being actually close to it, you just have to line it up so the angle of the truck is right. So you sort of line it up back up a little bit so that the bullseye is over, which is far easier than lining up an actual trailer. You're sort of putting the bullseye like there is the hitch that you want to get to. That's not a real tight bullseye. No, it's a very wide. Yeah, it's a very wide. You know, it's not it's very easy to do this. And then it's going to steer and break and get you lined up. And it the time we did it, Sam, it lined it up like perfectly and it even does a double check when you're not like Ford had already put the trailer at the right height but when you get close enough it's like okay is your trailer the right height like so to double check so you're not going to like smack into it so that you'll be at the right spot so as you double to up it's to the right height and then you line up and it, it did it it did it absolutely perfectly it was absolutely lined up directly where it should be to, and so that's and then all you got to do is lower the trailer down lower the trailer and you're good to go so that it for someone and again like i said i don't hook up trailers a lot I would probably take me roughly a zillion years to line it up on my own because I don't do it. But with this, it was like one chop, boom, you're done. Yeah, you just press and hold a button on the dashboard. Mm-hmm. Once you get it, you know, you initially get it into that target zone, then just press and hold a button, take your hands off the wheel and feet off the pedals, and it does the rest. It just it slowly backs it up and steers and gets you in just that right spot. And, and then- I thought, you know what I like too? Sometimes automatic, automated things like this, they're one of two things. They're so painfully slow that you're like, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, come on. Or they're so fast. You're kind of like, like that's, that's, you're uncomfortable. The speed at which it did all of this was very comfortable. It felt very in control. You weren't watching and kind of thinking like, do I, I'm going to need to take control. This isn't going to be safe. Or if you were nervous about it, it was very, it was very smooth, very controlled and very easy to trust this. I feel like not all automated stuff is easy to trust. This is very easy to trust. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like that you mentioned the speed, you know, because this is what a lot of vehicles now have active park assist where, mm-hmm. you know, you're going through a parking lot, you can press the button and it'll find a parking space for you. Um, and then when it finds a parking space, you know, you take your hands off the wheel and, and just hold the button, same kind of thing. And it will back you into a perpendicular parking space or parallel park you. And those I've found those systems to work pretty well. But the problem is they are so slow that so if I'm slow. in a parking lot, you know, at Lowe's <laughs> and, you know, 
by by the time that the thing starts backing up, I've got three people backed up behind me waiting for a parking space. And it's just, <laughs> I, I finally just give up and just turn the wheel and do it myself yes. just because it, it takes so long for it to actually execute it. But when you're doing something like this with a trailer, you know, it's, it's surprisingly quick and, you know, speed is not necessarily of the essence. You don't necessarily have people waiting for you to get out of the way. Right. Right. And I feel like even if you did, it does it quickly enough that it's, I don't know if you're trying to, you know, at a boat ramp or something and there's other people waiting or whatever. I feel like it does things quickly enough that you're not going to be panicking, you know, yeah. that it's, 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 and it's a good pace. I like how it does it. All right. Let's, um, let's hit one more Ford story before we move on to some other stuff. Okay. Um, Ford, Ford? Oh, uh, announced, uh, so a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week? I guess it was last, last week, um, at the 24 hours Le Mans, Ford unveiled their, their Mustang GT3. That's going to go, uh, back to Le Mans next year. Um, this week they announced another, um, uh, competition vehicle from Ford Performance, the Ford Ranger T1 Plus. Um, and this one is not going to Le Mans, uh, but it is going to be doing an endurance competition. Uh, this is going to be Ford's first entry into the Dakar Rally, uh, which is this crazy off-road um, rally uh, rally raid. Uh, it started off I don't know, about 30, 25, 30 years ago yeah. as the Perry Dakar rally. And they, they raced from, from Paris to, to Dakar in Senegal. Um, and then um, they moved it to South America for a few years. And it, it became a race across South America, like from the East coast of South America to the West coast, across the Andes and back again. Um, and the last couple of years, um, the, the rally has moved again to Saudi Arabia. And so it runs for like 10, 11 days mm -hmm. through the deserts of the Arabian Peninsula. Um, and, you know, there have been some amazing vehicles that have won this competition. Uh, it is truly an endurance race. Uh, and people run everything from motorcycles to great big trucks on this rally. There is you know, everything in this oh, rally. It's, it's insane. So, so Ford is uh, preparing a uh, special uh, racing version of the Ranger, um, which aside from having some bodywork that looks vaguely like a current generation Ranger, and I, when I say vaguely, I mean vaguely. Vaguely, yeah. You know? I mean, you can, you can see in the front fascia, okay, yeah, it's got the grill and what looks like the headlights of a Ranger. Right. I feel like everything else on there, I'm like, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> when you look at the front, there's your Ranger. Everything else, no. Yeah. Um, so this is for the 24, the 2024 Dakar rally, mm -hmm. um, which will be, uh, it's it, the, the, the race happens in January. Mm -hmm. Um, then, uh, basically for next year, they're, they're going to take this one there essentially to scope it out, you know, and see how things go. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they have no, no, um, illusions about you know being truly competitive next year they just want to try and finish if they, they can. actually in the press release they say they're taking to compete in the class on a quote finish and learn basis yes. so, which makes it very much sound like we just want to finish it and learn what we need to learn to do better the next time around <laughs> and then for 2025 they're going to build a new truck that is loosely based on the new ranger um and and when I say very very loosely based, but <laughs> it will at least have some uh, 
some visual cues that tie to the new Ranger. This looks um, crazy. The vehicle looks uh, amazing, but I'm like, if you didn't tell me it was a Ranger, I wouldn't know it was a Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's coming up in January. So that, that should be fairly interesting to that watch. That should be pretty neat to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on to, uh, Neo. Uh, are you familiar with Neo? I am not familiar with Neo. I'm looking at this right now. So, uh, Neo is a, a Chinese, uh, automaker that only does EVs. They're, they're a startup. They, I think they started production in 2019, um, and I've had the chance to ride in a couple of Neos um, in California uh, from their, their R&D center there uh, back in 2019. Um, they, one of the unique things, so you know, their, their first product was the ES8, uh, which is a th- you know, upper midsize um, three-row crossover, roughly the si- size of a Toyota Highlander um, or you know, uh, Hyundai Palisade. But it's electric, um, and they right now they um, just last year they finally started exporting them from China to Europe. You can get them in Norway and in Germany, I think, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the distinct things about Neo's model is that you know, in addition to having a network of fast chargers, they also have battery swap stations. Um, so all their vehicles are designed around the same battery uh, pack form factor. Um, so they're all interchangeable. And currently, um, they have, uh, Neo has 1,383 what they call power swap stations. So if you remember back to 2015, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Tesla did a demo. They had a big event and did a demo showing, you know, fast battery swapping with a Model S. I remember S. that. Yeah, and it never came to fruition. Well, they built one swap station. One. Um, and they operated it for about a year and then shut it down. And I think they maybe did half a dozen swaps in that right. time frame. Um, yeah. And turns out probably the real reason they did it was they never really intended to build out the network of swap stations. But um, the California regulations for tax credits for zero emission vehicles gave more credits to vehicles that were battery swap capable. Um, so the Model S and the Model X were capable of doing battery swaps. Even if they never did so one. So <laughs> instead of four EV credits for every vehicle they built, they got seven. Mm-hmm. And they were able to sell those credits to other yeah. automakers who weren't selling as many EVs. Um, and then after, after about a year, they shut down the battery swap station and it was never discussed again, mm-hmm. uh, except in Ed Niedermeyer's book. Uh, but Neo looked at that and said, yeah, we can do that. And so they've built out a network of, you know, almost 1400 swap stations in mostly in China. There's like, there's about 1200 in China and there's, uh, almost a couple hundred now in Europe. Um, and they're, they're building those out and they said they've done 20 million swaps, battery swaps to date. That's so you, you drive into this thing, you know, and it, it basically looks like a couple of shipping containers, um, and you drive in the back, or actually, probably a better analogy would be, you know, like the the quick oil change places where you drive in the back, and there's a a, a trough down the a trench down the middle, and the guy's standing down there. And as soon as you stop and turn off the car, they're in there pulling the pulling the plug out and draining your oil, and you're taking off your filter, and then putting it back in, hopefully tight enough that it doesn't leak, uh, and then refilling <laughs> the oil, and you're on your way in like five minutes. Um, this is kind of the way these things work. You pull in one side, 
the mechanism unbolts the battery from the bottom of your your neo um takes it away puts it in a rack to charge and gives you a fresh one and you're on your way uh in about two and a half three minutes um and these are very popular in china um and you know conceptually it's not a bad idea the problem is you know the economics of it you know if unless everybody is using the same battery pack form factor it's hard to make an economic case for battery swapping. It, it's what, not. What I can't tell looking at this, they say they hope to have 2,300 power swap stations in operation by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Is it just the free bit? Are they charging you for it now? Now they are charging you for it. So, so it's this is. Charge. So they're still doing yeah. it. They're just charging you for it. So okay, that's just good. as Tesla for the first few years was giving everybody free supercharging for life when you bought a Model S or a Model yeah. X. Now they give you some small limited amount of supercharging for free, and then you got to pay for it. Same thing here. So Neo has dropped the the battery, the free swapping. They're still going to do swapping, but now you have to pay for it from day one, or you get you might get a few limited number of swaps just to try it out and get you hooked on it. Um, and and now then you'll be paying. <laughs> yeah, and then you'll be paying. Um, so uh, they they did say they're going to cut the prices uh, by. Uh, $4,200. And this is, you know, part of the EV price war that's, that's right. kind of starting. Tesla has slashed their prices multiple times already this year, uh, both in China and in North America uh, with lagging demand. Um, and so now Neo is trying to compete by cutting their prices. But as part of that, they're also taking away this feature of the free swaps. And so now you're going to have to start paying for battery swaps. I wonder how many people will still swap the battery, if, or is it going to be outrageously expensive to swap the battery? Did that, I didn't see That's, anything here saying cost. I did as you were talking. Yeah, they. Um, I I don't think that they have said what the cost mm. is going to be. I know when Tesla did it, you know, they priced it. I think um, a swap was something like uh, seventy five dollars. Okay, so not terribly bad. Yeah, but so still. yeah, maybe a little bit. It was it, they targeted it to be a little bit less than the price of a tank of gas, uh, but um, you know, significantly more than what you would pay for charging. Um, you know, so you know, so it was an alternative to fast charging, um, and I'm guessing you know, it'll probably be something similar for for Neo. For Neo, that makes yeah. sense. That's interesting. The idea of the battery swap is such a cool idea. Like, I don't have to worry about sitting and charging and do all the design. I just swap it. I need a new one. It yeah. took two minutes. It's a neat idea, but yeah, the scale of it, and the, it just doesn't seem to make sense at all. And like you said, unless everybody starts using the same thing, you're going to have one for Kia and one for Hyundai and one for this company and one for that, you know? That would be weird. I think, I think where it actually makes more sense is for something like large commercial fleets. That where, it does. where they have you know a homogeneous fleet of the same kind of vehicle. Yes. And you know if the vehicles you know need to have minimal downtime, uh, so they they need to get in and out quickly and be back on the road. I mean that would make a lot of sense if you have a lot you know you have a fleet of vehicles that are all the same and you want to keep them moving as much as possible, not having to have them stop to charge. Mm-hmm. That's a huge big deal for fleet. Every minute that you're not <coughs> out there driving and is is lost money essentially. So then. Yeah, that would make sense to having dedicated things for your fleet. That that's actually a really good case for it. Yeah, and there's a company called Ample um, that uh, you know they have a slightly different variation on the swap concept. Instead of swapping the entire battery, um, what they do is they swap battery modules. So yeah. they they did it first with the the Nissan Leaf. So they they developed a, a replacement battery pack 
for the Leaf. So it's this, it's got the same mounting points as the standard Leaf battery pack, and then it has like ten modules in there. Uh, you know, the modules are you know smaller, you know, more like briefcase size. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is again targeted at fleets and like ride hailing uh, drivers and things like that where they want to minimize their downtime. And so the car rolls in and, you know, you can have, you know, different battery pack frames essentially that all use the same modules. So you can make a frame for each different type of EV. Uh, And they recently announced a deal with Fisker, you know, to offer this for Fisker. Um, You know, so Fisker will have a battery pack frame that uses the ample modules and then you can go in and just it'll swap modules in and out uh, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you do that, the the downside of doing that is you do lose some of your overall battery capacity because you've got to have this structure that holds the modules. So it's taking up space, taking space away from the um, the active cell material. So you've got less of your total volume is actual energy actual, storage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so. You, you give up some of that in exchange for, you know, the, the quick swaps. Um, so it's, it's always a trade-off. Yeah. That's a neat idea. The right case, it's a great idea, but you can see why it wouldn't stick around just for the average consumer that it wouldn't work as well. All right. Mercedes-Benz. Um, they uh, introduced a new concept a couple of days ago uh, called the, one, the Vision 111. Do you remember the C, the Mercedes C one eleven from the early nineteen seventies? No, I'm going to Google that. What's the C one eleven? It was a concept. They built several of them in the early nineteen seventies. Um, it was a mid engine gull wing coupe. Um, oh, I see pictures. Yeah. Oh my over, gosh, you can see where. It, yeah. Okay. Over the years, they had several different variations of different powertrains in them. Uh, I think the the very first one used a rotary engine. Um, and then they had some with turbo diesel engines, uh, you know, the, with the yeah. turbo diesel, it set all kinds of, um, endurance records and speed records, uh, in the early mid 1970s. Uh, and then I think they, they did it with a, with a gas engine as well at some point. Um, but the, um, this new vision 111 is a, a design concept, um, that is inspired by, you know, it's not a, it's not like, you know, when Ford did the GT uh, in 2003, you know, it was basically a direct copy of, of the 1960s GT40. Um, this, you know, takes some design inspiration from the C111, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, you know, it's a completely different beast and it's electric. Um, and I think the, the main thing that they're trying to highlight with this one, uh, besides the, the design, is the new motors, the electric motors. So there's four electric motors in this thing. Um, last year or the year before, Mercedes bought a company called Yuasa. Uh, no. Um, oh, I think Yuasa is a Japanese company. I, I forget now. But it, it was a, um, a company that was developing something called an axial flux motor, electric motor. That sounds like something out of Back to the Future. Uh, it does kind of sound like that, doesn't it? <laughs> So flux the, capacitors. Yeah, the <laughs> most most of the the motors that you typically find in electric vehicles today, the electric motors, uh, have, are what's known as a radial flux. Um, so you know, if you look at the motor, you know, it look typically looks like a cylinder. You know, maybe somewhere between, depending on the vehicle and the size, somewhere between twelve and eighteen inches long, and maybe uh, you know, ten twelve inches in diameter. Um, and the 
the electromagnetic flux um, goes out. If you were to draw the flux lines, they go out radially from the shaft, from from the rotating shaft of the motor. So they they stick out, you know, kind of like the spokes of a wheel. If you were to to look at it, an axial flux motor looks more like a pancake. And the the way the coils are arranged, the windings are arranged, the flux goes parallel to the shaft, parallel to the axis, hence axial flux. Um, and what this does is it gives you uh, a more compact motor that is more power dense than a radial flux motor. Um, and you can do, you know, gives you more flexibility for how you package the thing. Um, but the reason why they haven't been used much so far is because of the way the, 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 the windings are, uh, and everything, um, you get more, um, fluctuation in the, uh, in the, the torque curve. Okay. So with a radial flux motor, basically your torque curve is kind of flat yeah. and it, it's more consistent because you get more overlap between the, 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 uh, flux lines. Whereas with an axial flux, you, you lose that overlap. So you get a little bit of flutter in there, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they've been working on that, trying to smooth that out. And Mercedes has already talked previously about, um, you know, they plan to use axial flux motors in their uh, electric AMG vehicles because of the, the power, the, the greater power density that they have. So if you, can, if you can get that working right, you know, you can have a smaller, lighter motor that makes yeah. just as much power or, or have a motor that makes more power, you know, for, cause you know, God knows we need more, more performance from our more EVs. More performance from our EVs. And it is significantly, it's, they're saying the weight of these is a third of that of current electric motors. And yeah. it's, and it's also the size is a third of the space occupied. So you've significantly reduced the weight and the space yeah. that that's going to take up. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, not trivial, you know, cause taking weight out of an EV is an important thing. Right. So, uh, so that's the C one eleven. It then, looks super cool, fancy, very of the future. The styling on this thing is bonkers. Yeah. I want a production car just once, Sam, to look like. Oh, this is our concept. We're gonna build it looking like that. Just <laughs> one time. Just one time. <laughs> there, there have been a few of those. Um, you know, like the uh, the Aston Martin Valkyrie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah and, I guess. And the AMG Project One. Okay, uh, fine, fine. So, I want them to build this just like that. Let me restate okay. it. I want I want this to look exactly like this when they build it for you and I to drive. <laughs> All right. Um, something else that Mercedes is doing is they're playing around with chat GPT. Oh, gosh, this is our evil overlord moment where they take over the cars. Go ahead, Sam. I mean, have you, play, have you messed around with chat GPT much? I have messed around with it a little, and I have a friend who is like addicted to messing around with it and trying to get it to do exactly what he wants to get it to do. And he's sort of mastered the art of finessing it to get it to create what he wants it to create. But it requires a million questions to get exactly what he wants. And of course, when you're driving, that's exactly what you want to do is sure, ask sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. You, you want, want to be finessing your questions as you're driving along, trying right. to find I directions want, to somewhere. Right. right. I want to keep finessing it and like, oh, I'm sorry, not a flower, a flower shop. Okay, a flower shop that's open. Okay, a flower shop that's open that's within 10. Like, I don't want to have to keep. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Well, Mer- Mercedes-Benz is going to start integrating ChatGPT into its in-car voice control. Mm. <sighs> What will that do to improve things? 
I have um, voice control via Hey Mercedes. I already have enough trouble with Hey Mercedes, but go it, ahead. It'll 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 you know it'll probably be more conversational. It'll be able to respond to you in a way that sounds naturalistic. Um, no guarantees of accuracy. You know, even even OpenAI, who make ChatGPT, um, you know, acknowledge that this is the system is not. It's a large language model. It's not designed for accuracy. So we're going to get even not only is it not going to understand. So now we've got two levels of things. One, does it actually hear what I'm saying? You know, when you tell the car something and it doesn't actually hear the words that came out of your mouth. It, you know, you ask for an ice cream shop and it's like, here's where you can get your tires changed. Like it just totally misunderstands what you said. Now we've also added into that that it's trying to interpret the most human-like chat GPT chatty way to tell us what we want to know. No, I see. I know. Ah, is this going to work, Sam? Is this it's, actually going to work? It's going to, it's going to give you very precise directions to a flower shop that doesn't exist on a street that doesn't exist in a city that doesn't exist. That's it'll just completely, it'll just completely make it, make something up. That's what I'm thinking. But it will sound happen. utterly plausible to you when, when it gives you the answer. And it will sound very elegant and very yes. certain of itself as it gives these like, Hey, Nicole, it'll, instead of being like taking to flower shop, it'll be like, Hey, Nicole, I'm taking you to the flower shop and it will take me to one that doesn't exist. Or, you know, it'll take you to a cookie shop that is actually an oil change place. Oh, gosh, dang it. Then I'm going to get cranky. I'm going to be yeah. screaming, hey, Mercedes, <laughs> fix this. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I remain unconvinced uh, I by, feel, by it, generalized large language models. Yeah, it, and it just doesn't feel like something, I don't know, I guess, it, it, does it feel, oh, Mercedes going to hate me. Does it feel a little bit gimmicky almost? Like, do we really need this is it's just like we're gonna put chat gpt in here because everyone's talking about chat gpt and now we've got chat gpt because we're just that forward thinking it's like uh, nobody asked for that nobody asked for that did you ask for that i didn't ask for that i just want something to accurately recognize my voice what i'm asking for and give me the correct answer the first time right it can sound like a robot i don't even care if it yeah. has that old school robotic voice to it i just want it to do what i'm asking it to do and hear me the first time like you said hear what i said respond correctly on that point i i have a, a lexus a new lexus yes. rx in the driveway right now that it's we'll talk about next week for you sam <laughs> yeah it, you know I don't know if you recall last September when we first drove it out in Santa Barbara. Um, it absolutely, I, I drove, I think, three or four different vehicles, and they absolutely <laughs> unconditionally refused to recognize me when I said, hey, Lexus. There was something about my voice. My co-driver, no problem at all. I tried it. It's just ignored me completely. Yep. Yep. Um, I don't know what I did to upset it, but you know, it refused to respond to my voice. This one now actually does respond to my voice, and sometimes it gives me accurate answers. Oh, look at that. That's progress, Sam. Yeah, it is progress. <laughs> all right. Um, you're close. You're next door to Massachusetts. You I fly out of, in and out of Massachusetts I all the do time. I fly in and out of Massachusetts um, all the time. The, the voters of Massachusetts voted overwhelmingly, I think, last year or, or late 2020 or 20, uh, whenever. So at some point in the past. Yeah. Um, to uh, approve uh, an amendment to their right to repair law that mm -hmm. required automakers to make their telematic systems accessible to third-party repair facilities so that they could send remote commands to, um, you know, to do diagnostics on your vehicle. So you didn't have to take it to a dealer to have repair work done. Um, or to remotely, you know, remotely diagnose or, you know, run, run various tests and do things. Um, 
that law was supposed to go into effect on June 1st. One of the things we saw as a result of that law was last year, Subaru announced that they were no longer going to offer their Starlink telematics service to people in Massachusetts. So they were basically just going to turn off their like, their you may not have it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the reason why, I mean, automakers and other companies, to be fair, have been kind of opposed to right to repair laws for a while anyway. You know, certainly John Deere, you know, has been among the, the leaders in opposing mm-hmm. it. Um, and I, I am absolutely a supporter of right to repair. I think people should, once you buy something, it's you yours. You should, you should, right. you should be able to do whatever you want with it mm-hmm. within reason. Um, and I think, you know, being able to repair your devices is critically important. Unfortunately, I've been I've had mixed feelings about this particular one though. You know, I mean today, you know, you can you can go out and buy diagnostic tools and plug them into the OBD2 port in your car and read out fault codes and clear fault codes and do all kinds of things with it with physical access to the vehicle. This one I've I've had mixed emotions about because it requires basically opening up access to the connected systems in your vehicle. Um and I don't know that we have this all the secure the cybersecurity stuff nailed down enough to do it's, this safely. It's a little bit of a tricky spot. Like you get what they're saying. Like they're saying we should be able to fix cars. You shouldn't have you know if we need access to information to fix the car at Bob's you know repair shop instead of going to XYZ dealer, that should be accessible for people, which sounds on the surface like a really great idea. But like you said, it is there is a matter of security and what kind of data is going to be accessed. And if it's that accessible for any random repair shop to get it for very good reasons, very valid reasons, how easy is it for nefarious types to also gain access to those same systems? So, so this week, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration issued a letter to automakers saying, yeah, you can ignore Massachusetts. You know, um, our federal regulations overrule this um, and you don't have to pay attention to this, which, you know, I also don't like that. Right. And it's just like, forget the states. They have no rights. Like, wait a minute. We had problems with this ones before, didn't we? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, so... You know, now, you know, the following day after that, um, Senators Ed Markey and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, you know, they're pushing back against NHTSA on this saying, hey, you know, the voters of, of our state overwhelmingly approved this. You know, you should be, you know, heeding, heeding their wishes on mm-hmm. this. And, you know, what makes this worse is that, you know, there, there was an article from um, Reuters uh, a week or two ago, um, basically calling um, NHTSA a, f- a failing agency. Right. Um, you know, that they, they fail to meet their internal de- timelines on defect probes. And, uh, you know, they, they studied uh, data. Let's see, they are, oh, they had a report from the uh, Transportation Department's Office of Inspector General and said uh, out of 27 uh, NHTSA investigations in 2018 and 2019, um, they failed to meet their, their, targets 26 times out of 27. That's just not a great track record. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and you look at, um, you know, how they have handled, for example, Tesla and autopilot, you know, mm-hmm. and, or, you know, other stuff around, you know, just generally around automated driving and driver assist systems, you know, for the last half dozen years, at least, you know, the, the agency has done 
you know, very little. And, you know, they, they, they really have not done the things that they should have been doing. Um, and granted, you know, between 2016 and 2020, you know, there was an administration in Washington that basically told all agencies no new regulations. Um, so, you know, there's that. But nonetheless, even, you know, even since then, you know, the, NHTSA has not really done a lot of the things that would be expected of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it makes it hard to, to take them too seriously, you know, when they issue a letter saying, oh, just ignore the, the voters of Massachusetts and, you know, do what you want. Um, it, it is hard. Like the NHTSA sort of, you know, like they're, they're doing a job and they are doing it, but are they doing it well enough to have people respect what they're doing at this point? And I think they're failing on that front a little bit. So when they do things like this, like, ah, pff, whatever, Massachusetts, your laws don't matter. That's a little hard to take, especially I think if you live in Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. And then let's see, I think that was, that was it, it for our that's story. That's all of them. Yeah. All right. Let's, an, let's do a couple of listener questions. Uh, okay. we had some, had some emails this week. Uh, first one from Gary Resa, um, and says, uh, I've been listening to wheel bearings for about a year now after hearing Sam on the Leo Laporte show. Uh, it's a really good show. I just went through the whole process of choosing our, our first EV for our family. I'm an engineer and I spent a lot of time looking at the options. I went into the process, including Tesla, but thinking that I'd probably end up somewhere else. In the end, I chose a Model Y. The excellent engineering of the Y, its excellent efficiency, the policy of continuing to improve its design, even for already delivered Ys, and the, all, and the amazingly good charging network just won me over. There, really, there was really no other choice. To hear you guys only talk about Tesla when you have something bad to say and to ignore all the contributions of Tesla to the EV movement and to never test drive Teslas just seems totally out of character from the rest of your show, which is generally open-minded and even-handed. I just don't get it. So... Can I say something right off? First of all, we don't get loaded. For for the reason you don't hear the three of us test driving Teslas all the time is Tesla does not do media fleets like the other automakers. So to test drive a Tesla, you can't get one as a member of the media. You have to... You have to go rent, rent one from Toro or, or find, find a friend who's got one. someone who's willing to let you drive a Tesla. So that's part of why you don't hear us in Teslas all the time. Um, I would like to, to, to refute that. I am not super negative on Tesla, and I'm not super negative on Elon Musk. In fact, Sam, I'm trying to remember. We had someone on the show quite a few episodes back who had written a story about Elon Musk and and it was published in Rolling Stone. Am I uh, it was right? Jamie Kitman. Jamie Kitman. And I kind of argue with Jamie in that one. I tried to sort of, I, I, I push back against some of the Tesla. I do not hate Tesla. Um, I do not think that they're horrible, awful, terrible, very bad, no good cars. I think there's problems with them. I think there's issues. But I am not super negative on Tesla. I am, I think... I, I am not like a cheerleader for the brand, but I'm also not super negative on them. I I do not I do not hate them. I do not hate them, and I actually kind of like Elon Musk. I'll go on record. But do you like green eggs and ham? I, I do not <laughs> like green eggs and ham. But so so I mean I think but I think in terms of I don't think we're ignoring the contributions to Tesla. I think there are some valid concerns about how Tesla does things, and a lot of that is because Tesla does things very differently than every other automaker out there for good or for bad. Um, and I think it goes both ways. I think what we were just talking about with NHTSA, with how they address things, that's part of the problem because, you know, Tesla would charged in full force and NHTSA hasn't been reactive enough to that. 
in, in just terms of making rules and regulations about some of the things that Tesla does, um, it causes some problems. But I am not anti-Tesla. I don't hate on Tesla. I rave about their charging network. And I think I've said more than once, I would buy a Tesla because I know I could actually charge it wherever I wanted to charge it. I'm not going to have to worry about it. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, while I have been absolutely, you know, unequivocal in my condemnation of how Tesla has handled full self-driving and autopilot, um, I think, you know, in, in pretty much every other, and, you know, I don't like Elon Musk as a person. I don't, I don't think he's a good person, but that, you know, is neither here nor there when it comes to their products. Um, I think that, um, you know, I, I think we've given Tesla a lot of credit, especially on the charging. You know, in recent weeks, we've been talking about superchargers and, and you know, we have complained quite vehemently about Electrify America and other charging mm-hmm. networks and, and how Tesla has done a vastly superior job of, you know, the way they've rolled out the, the supercharger network. And this is why, you know, Ford and GM are, I think, are doing the right thing. Yeah. And adopting NACS, you know, they're doing the right thing for their customers. Is it the right thing ultimately for their business? Mm. Well, we'll see. But I think they're doing the right thing for their customers in going with the supercharger network and, and the Tesla connector. Um, you know, and, you know, I have often, you know, said and, and given credit, you know, to Tesla for jumpstarting the modern EV movement, um, you know, and inspiring the rest of the industry to make changes in the way they design and build vehicles, you know, the modern electronic architectures for vehicles, um, the, the soft, the way they do software, um, you know, they're, we've given them a lot of credit for that. And the rest of the industry would not be doing what they weren't, were it not for Tesla. Absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, my, my main complaint around Tesla has been around FSD and, and autopilot and, you know, safety, my concerns with how they handle that from a safety perspective. Um, you know, I, I have actually, you know, borrowed vehicles, um, you know, Me too. Back, back in the day, um, you know, when they still had a PR department and they, <laughs> you know, and they had vehicles that we could borrow like back in 2016, 2017. Um, you know, I did borrow a model, model S's a couple of different times, you know, with and without, uh, before and after they launched autopilot, uh, and, uh, you know, Talk, you know, talked about those here and wrote about those, you know, and, you know, was fairly positive on, on those vehicles overall. Um, and more recently, you know, um, in December, uh, I borrowed my friend Henry Payne's Model 3 to try out FSD. Um, so, yeah, I mean, unless we go out and, and rent one from Turo or, or from Hertz um, or find, a, find somebody who's got one that they'll loan us, um, that, you know, it's, it's hard to actually get our hands on one to evaluate some of this stuff. So, you know, we've been fortunate that we have been able to, to some degree, but you know, there's limits on what we can do. Right. But I, and I just, I like, I, I actually am not as um, negative on uh, Elon Musk as I think Robbie and Sam are. I think they, he, they, he drives them a lot more nuts than he drives me. Um, but I, I, I don't think I don't think it's that we're not trying to do our jobs or that we're not trying to give it. It is hard to cover a company that doesn't have media vehicles because you have to go rent one for the week or you have to find somebody to get you one for the week. Um, So it does make it challenging where other OEMs do drive programs where we can get exposure to them and do events where we can get exposure to them and are constantly putting them in press fleet. So that does reduce the amount of coverage that we can do. Um, And that's sort of like, that's that's Tesla's decision, truly, not not our decision. If they were putting Teslas in our driveways, I think you'd hear us talking a lot more about what it was like to drive one. But it's sort of just on rare occasion that we have the opportunity 
to drive it. And I've, I've, I have never been uh, super negative on Elon Musk. I think he's a little bit crazy, but crazy like a fox. I, I, I don't, I don't hate on Musk. I really don't. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, think I know. See, Sam and I are going to argue big, right now. But, yeah. I don't, I don't hate on him. I know Sam hates on him. I, I, I do not actually. All right. So. All right, let's move on. Uh, John wrote to us. Uh, he says, I really wanted to send you this as a recorded message, but I have a cold, so you get the plain old email instead of my congested voice. Well, thank you, John. Uh, so feel better. I, yeah, I hope you do feel better soon. So I finally got to listen to your discussion of the new Ford pricing on Blue Cruise. Uh, I currently use Blue Cruise every day in my Lightning on my 45-minute one-way highway commute to work. Uh, great great application for, for Blue Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see. I also plan on using it this weekend when I travel on my first road trip to attend Tom Malogny's lightning meetup in New Jersey. Uh, I will be traveling from Ohio. Uh, I want to point out a few finer points to add to what you've already discussed. I also have a job one Mach-E that I got in February of 2021. Very early one, obviously. Yeah. Um, I finally got Blue Cruise after waiting about a year and a half and Ford has extended Blue Cruise on that car through 2023. When Ford first announced Blue Cruise with these cars, the price was quoted as $600 for three years. Those of us with Job One cars, from my understanding, Ford will still honor that one time when the current subscription ends. Uh, the Mach-E has now become the around-town car that my daughter drives, maybe 100 miles a week. However, this new pricing will apply to my Lightning when the subscription uh, on that, uh, that came with the truck ends in 2025. I thought $600 for three years was a fair price. Uh, so it's like 200 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. I still do. I think at $800 a year, the take rate will drop sharply. Although some may opt to pay $75 for the month or two that they actually do a long trip, which means Ford will get $75 or $150 instead of $200 a year for this ADAS software. Many won't renew at all because the, the utility of the product is only a value proposition to those of us who drive a lot on the mapped highways. If 90% of what you do is is town in-town driving, why do you need it? Uh, excellent point. Uh, in contrast, GM, from what I can find, is charging $25 a month for Super Cruise, $300 a year for a product that Sam has um, said is far superior to Blue Cruise. Uh, GM cuts that to $15 a month with an OnStar package that contains other benefits like a mobile hotspot and emergency assistance. From what I could find, the total monthly cost of that is about $65. Needless to say, the Ford online forums for both the Lightning and the Mach-E overwhelmingly are saying that will not ex- that they will not extend a subscription at that cost. I will not either. No matter what Ford did to drop the price of the Mach-E in particular, uh, where all of the cars now come with the hardware, would have no bearing to me. Uh, if you're going to soak me for a software subscription 90 days after I get the car, I really thought Ford was going to lead the way in those respects by charging a fair price to the subscription. Uh, but someone in the bean counting department must be paying more attention to Tesla and thinking <laughs> there is gold in them that are subscriptions. And let's face it, Ford is not a premium luxury brand or a software forward company. I think they're doing a great job, and I have a lot of faith in what Jim Farley's doing, but this one seems like a misstep. Maybe Lincoln drivers will pony up that amount mm. for the Lincoln version. Uh, I will let people I have been in contact with it. I have let people I've been in contact with at Ford know my thoughts. I will be curious to see if they make any change to this boneheaded decision. <laughs> As to why I use it, there's one important distinction you guys did not pick up on. Like Robbie, I usually have my hands resting on the wheel, but Ford does not use capacitor touch to sense that. They use the idiotic torque sensor. <laughs> so if no blue cruise when, uh, when using uh, adaptive cruise control with lane centering, even with 
uh, my even with my hands on the wheel lightly, the damn thing keeps nagging me to twist mm -hmm. the wheel, even on long flat straightaways. It is totally annoying, and I do like to use adaptive crews. That does help with fatigue, especially for those of us who are getting older and whose joints hurt on long drives. Keep up the great work. Love the show and your insights, including uh, Nicole. And I did not <laughs> otherwise mention that I did not otherwise mention above. <laughs> it's always good to hear a woman's <laughs> perspective on this stuff. I do happen to live with one. <laughs> Thank you very much, John. Um, yeah, you know, I think Ford is still experimenting with pricing on this stuff. You know, they're obviously hoping to generate some significant revenues. Um, you know, they're going to be watching closely to see how many people actually sign up at these new price points. And, you know, if you look at the UK, we talked a, a month or two ago, we talked about uh, when they launched Blue Cruise in the UK as a subscription for, I think, 18 pounds a month, which is about $20 a month, mm -hmm. $20, $22 a month at current exchange rates. Um, you know, I think that they will... I think we'll see them adjusting these prices going forwards, um, you know, and trying to find that sweet spot. And I think before, you know, before they can justify, you know, $800 a year, I think they are going to have to demonstrate to consumers that they're, that they can consistently provide improvements in the capability and performance of the system, provide software updates, you know, that work without having to go into a dealer um, right. and, you know, all the other things. And I, I do think a lot of this is, is you know, I think the bean counting for sure, but I think a lot of it is trying to figure out, like, they want to make money. I get that. You know, they're going to make whatever money they can make and, and make the most of it that they can make. And I think a lot of it is probably trying to figure out what sort of the uh, break-even point is here. At what point are we charging the customers who really want it an amount that they're willing to pay and not charging people, people who don't want it, not, you know, not paying for it at all. Like I think there's, this is still something that's really new to have this kind of subscription. So I feel like, I, you know, I don't feel like this is the final, this is it. It's not going to be for years to come. I feel like this could continue to flex over the coming years as sort of people get comfortable with the technology, decide when they want to use it, decide when it's actually a value to them personally. And Ford figures out, this is what we need to charge to make the right amount of money. Most of our customers are happy with this. We've, we're making a decent amount of cash on it and it's keeping our customer base feeling like it's pretty fair. It's just going to take a little time. I think I don't, I don't really think where it is right now is where it's going to stick for an extended period of time. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think uh, there, this is not the end of that story. Yes, and more to come. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for, your, thanks for your feedback, John. Yeah. That, was, that was really helpful. Yep. All right. Uh, Ed says, uh, given the news about Ford and GM going with Tesla's connector, I have a 2019 Kia Niro plug-in hybrid. I would like to get a BEV at some point. Uh, I would like to get a level two charger installed. For future proofing, should I go with a CCS connector? Um, well, I think it, what I would recommend is that you don't, you don't get a charger, a level two charger that's hardwired. Um, get one, you know, get a, a 240 volt, a NEMA 1450 outlet. So that's a 40 amp 240 volt outlet installed in your garage or, or wherever you want to put the charger. Um, and then, you know, pick a, a charge, you know, get a charger that you can plug in and it's going to be relatively straightforward to replace at mm -hmm. some point. And, you know, you can get fairly expensive chargers, um, you know, that, that cost you know, a lot of money and they have all right. kinds of features and, and connectivity. Um, or you can get a, a more a cheaper charger, you know, in the three to four hundred dollar range. And I would suggest, you know, at this point, you know, pick pick the car you want to buy. Um, don't don't worry about the connector. Yeah. Just get get the get the vehicle you want. 
And then, you know, if it's a Tesla, you can get a Tesla wall box that will plug into a NEMA 1450 outlet. Um, or, or, you know, you can also get other third parties as well. It doesn't have to be a Tesla one that have Tesla connectors or, um, you know, get a CCS one if that's the, if that's the appropriate one for the vehicle you get. And then, you know, next time around, you know, five, seven years, however many years when you replace that, you know, um, you can also replace the charger with one with the NACS connector. Right. Yeah. Just don't spend a ton of money on it right now. Get a cheap one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but get you know spend spend the money to get the the NEMA 1450 outlet and leave yourself the flexibility. Yeah. Um and you know cuz in all likelihood the cost of that installation, you know, which would be you know the the outlet itself, you know, is relatively minor, you know, having an electrician do the wiring from your your panel you know, to wherever you want to locate the charger, that's going to be the bulk of the cost there. Right. And, you know, so just have a, a NEMA, get a NEMA 1450 outlet, and then you can pick the charger you want right. to use. And even if you do have a hard wire, you've already run a bunch of wire from, you know, point A to wherever it is that you're going from your box to wherever it is you're going to have your things plugged in. So you've, you know, some of that cost is, is doesn't matter whether you've got a plug-in, like one that's a plug-in to an outlet or hardwired. You've got a lot of the wire already there, so you're not going to have to repay for that again. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you have um, a level two charger? I do, but mine's hardwired only because at the time that I was buying it, there was such a uh, supply chain was so screwed up. I could not, for the life of me, get one that was just one that you could plug directly into an outlet. It was like, you're going to have to wait like eight months to get one. I literally oh, couldn't find one. Okay. Like, didn't matter which brand I was using. So I have it hardwired, but still I've run wire from the box all the way over to that spot. So I'm going to have to pay to have it changed to an outlet. Do you know what I mean? But that wire yeah. is already running. And actually, funny enough, the wire was was truly the biggest part of that entire thing. It wasn't the electrician's installation or even the unit itself. It was the cost of the wire because the wire's not cheap, weirdly. Yeah, no, that it's copper's like, expensive. Yeah, it's very expensive wire. So the bulk of the cost was getting the wire over to where we wanted the box to be. And then, so all we'd have to do would be just to like literally have the outlet installed, which doesn't involve a significant amount of wire. So, you know, if you had to do that, you still, part of the cost, you're going to pay either way, sort of. So. Yeah. All right. Last one is from Paul. Uh, he heard us uh, the other day uh, with Leo on Twit. That was last Sunday. Yeah, um, we had a great time with Leo. We did. Us. That was fun. Uh, says I have a quick question to see what answer you guys come up with. Uh, living in the UK, my wife needs an SUV style vehicle for work. Uh, she owns four children's nurseries, so you know preschools. Okay. Um, in in the American English um, has been burnt in the past by Mercedes finance and mechanically by Range Rover. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, looking to replace for a last hurrah with an ice vehicle before they become persona non grata here in the UK currently has a Range Rover sport. Uh, she's a spirited driver and says there are way too many Cayennes locally. What do you recommend? An SUV, a sporty, fun, gas powered SUV? SUV. Is that what we're looking for here? Sporty, fun, premium SUV. It has to be sporty. Oh, and I'm trying to think what's sold in the UK because they have a different. Yeah. I think some of what pops in my head might not be in the UK. Oh, what do I you mean, think, Sam? I mean, there's there's certainly options from BMW and Audi. Um, you know, let's see, Range Rover Sport size. Um, I, like I want to take a look at like the the Volvo XC60. Ooh, that's a thought. Yeah. Um, you know, get like the XC60 uh, plug-in hybrid. 
Is um is uh, this can sound like a ridiculous question? I should is Mazda in the UK? They are in the UK. Um, Do they have the, the I don't, what am I the, the CX ninety? Yeah, I don't know if the CX ninety is in the UK. I know they I have would, the CX sixty, which is smaller. It's on the same the CX ninety in the UK. I would I would check that because I like that. Yeah, um, you know that's that's a little on the bigger side. It's on the bigger side. It might be yeah. too big. Let's see. So Mazda she UK. Had, uh, let's see what they have. Because I like uh, Mazda. They're fun. They're nice. They're the last hurrah to a gas vehicle. That would be a fun last hurrah for an SUV. Yeah. Depending on what they have available. Look, doesn't look like they have the CX-90, uh, at least not yet. I don't know if they're planning uh, on selling it there. So Mazda, that would be my other one I would recommend because yeah. it's kind of upscale and they're fun to drive. And it's a nice, she said she's a spirited driver. I appreciate that. Yeah. Mazda's a fun car for, and you've got twisty, turny little narrow roads. I mean, your narrow roads are like not even roads here. So you want something <laughs> that's fun. Uh, those are people walking on the side. Yeah, those, those would be sidewalks here. Those would be yeah. sidewalks here in the U.S. So your, yeah. your sidewalk sized roads. Or, or golf cart tracks. <laughs> right, know. or golf cart tracks. A Mazda would be fun to take on those. <laughs> Um, uh, he says uh, he's looking for uh, something 12 to 18 months old, so used vehicle. Um, oh, so used. Okay. You know, so, so that would knock out the CX90 anyway. That knocks but yeah, out the, yeah. I would, I would definitely take a look at the Volvo XC60, mm-hmm. especially the plug-in hybrid. Yeah. Um, or um, you know, possibly uh, like a BMW X5 uh, or maybe X3. You know, depending on how how big you want. You know, the the X5 is going to be closer to the size of the uh, the Range Rover Sport. The Range Rover, yeah. Um, or you know maybe an Audi Q8, um, That's you know an, S, an SQ8. Yeah. Um, I think that you know that might be a, a good choice there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean there, there's there's some options. Um, I'm trying to think of what else is in the UK. I know it's sticking me because I'm like, what's in the UK? And I don't know the UK market as well as yeah. I know the US market. But those, I, I, I would, I guess, I would start with those, mm-hmm. um, and and let us know, you know, what. Uh, yeah, I'm what curious you think what about you said or, a lot. What you think let, about let, that, and, and what you end up choosing. You got You got to message us, Paul, when your wife decides what it is that she wants and what she goes with. I'm curious to see what she lands on. <laughs> all right, so that's all we've got for this week. Um, don't forget, um, you know, if for some reason you decide that you want to listen to podcasts on YouTube instead of a dedicated podcast player. You can get wheel bearings there now. It's it's there. Um, yes. the, the shows are going in going in there, um, and um, but you can also find it on all the other places. You know, on Apple Podcasts and Pocket Casts and Spotify and Stitcher and and all you know any any other app. You know, Overcast. All the podcatchers. Yeah, over, over, Overcast is the second biggest one behind uh, Apple Podcasts that that people are using. So top three are Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. Uh, and then a whole bunch of others. Um, so you can you can find us everywhere. And you know, if it's a place that uh, gives you an opportunity to to give us a rating, we we would really appreciate it if you that could uh, give us a rating and review, especially a positive one. Yeah. Um, if, if you have you negative like things us, to just say, just send us again. Well, if, if you don't like it, just just send us an email, and, and we'll be sure to put it in for you. Um, <laughs> but if, if you do like us, you know, put in the rating yourself, and and we would really appreciate that. Yes. Um, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.